Good evening, friends, and welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, the founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters, and I'm your host for tonight's podcast. My co-host is Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Hello, Taylor. Hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, I know last night was a big night for you. Would you like to share with our listeners what was going on last night? Uh, well, outside of being glued to the TV set for the, the opening of college basketball, I watched my, my Jayhawks defeat the Michigan State Spartans. So we are, we are off to a good start. Yeah, they're undefeated. 1-0, 1-0. Undefeated. Well, Taylor, I'm a little nervous about our guest today, uh, Des Thornton. He is a, a world-class expert on public speaking, and even more precisely, he, he's better than anyone I know in terms of inspecting and dissecting what people say, and I'm a little nervous that he may turn that around on us at some point during the, the interview. I just want to warn you. Well, I'm kind of going in with that expectation, so uh, I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. So, Des, welcome to Small Business Matters. Very pleased that you're with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim and Taylor. Thank you guys for having me on. And, Tim, you don't have to worry about anything. You have that velvet voice that when you speak, you just throw your audience in a trance, and it doesn't even matter what you say. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Taylor and our listeners, Des is a communications expert who helps thought leaders, like many of our listeners, say the right words in the right way when they matter most. He is an idea enthusiast with a really interesting knack for transforming what can be very complex into something very simple. He has a it's just an uncanny ability to inspire action through story, whether it's speaking to a, a large group, looking into a camera, or even just connecting on a one-on-one basis. Des is, is completely convinced that the cornerstones of communication are their confidence, its clarity, and connection. And when perfectly blended, these qualities epitomize the polished presenter, something, Taylor, you and I maybe aspire to one day, who turns presentations into illustrative conversations. Adez was professionally trained at the University of South Carolina and also through Dale Carnegie. He was the 2014 president of the Georgia chapter of the National Speakers Association. And in 2014, he was a speech coach for the TEDx Peachtree event here in Atlanta. Also in 2014, he was the winner of Speak Tank, which was a speaking competition that was hosted by the National Speakers Association. So, Des, again, a nice warm welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Tim, it's my pleasure to be here. And after hearing all of those different things, I think I'm even a little bit afraid to speak right now. (laughs) Well, let's get started. I I can't wait to get started. Des, uh, start us off. Share with our listeners uh, a little bit about your, your professional background and how did you end up where you are today with your own practice, helping CEOs and leaders become better and more effective speakers. How did you get here? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, when I graduated from college, 
I took a job with the federal government and I was working in public relations for the Social Security Administration. And in that role, I was called on to speak quite frequently to explain some of the complex um, programs as well as computer systems to members of the public as well as Social Security staff. And so in that process, um, I figured out how much I enjoy speaking and became curious to know where do the professionals or the big boys and girls really hang out when it comes to speaking. And so like most people, I did a Google search uh, looking for professional speakers uh, that landed me at the Georgia chapter of the National Speakers Association. And the rest is history, so to speak. Um, I'll open up that can a little bit, Tim. And if you want to know more, certainly feel free to ask. But when I joined the National Speakers Association, just like most associations, their goal is to get you to volunteer, mm. which I was happy to do because at my first meeting, I really had a sense that you know these are my people. These are the people that I've been looking for. Mm. So I was able to be around professionals who uh, presented full-time, made a, made a living either doing speaking or coaching. Towards the middle of my journey, somewhere around year five, I had the good fortune of being connected with two mentors who were both uh, speech coaches and university professors of public speaking. And so they, I guess feeling sorry for me, decided to show me the ropes and even took me on the road with them to do some training and would even hand me clients who, you know, didn't necessarily fit their criteria. And so I had a chance to learn from masters and was handed a few clients. And then from there, just started to grow my own practice. That's great. And Des, I've heard you share a story, and I think it was when you were maybe nine that, that was very influential in terms of your career choice. Do you mind sharing that story with our listeners? No, absolutely. So you do have the age correct. When I was nine years old, I forgot my part in the Easter play. Oh. And leading up to this play, my mom had done insane preparation, you know, every day after school, uh, even before school sometimes, and memorizing this part. And at the age of nine, you know, I had been in the Easter play for about four years at that point. So I considered myself to be a veteran. But uh, the thing that changed this particular year is uh, my Sunday school teacher decided that I wasn't going to be able to just read the words from the page. I had to memorize them. And I failed to understand exactly what that meant until <laughs> I was in front of that audience. And so I sort of learned the hard way, froze in front of the audience, had the sweat, you know, down my back and everything and, and, and nearly passed out. And um, after that, my mom took that opportunity to um, to impart a lesson to me about how important it is to be prepared and also to own the moment when you present. And so from the age of nine uh, all the way through this moment, I have always taken uh, speaking seriously, and I can identify with people who have nerves and anxiety around speaking. And so, uh, like you said in the opening, I somehow have this knack for helping people say the right things when it matters most. That's a great story. <laughs> so, Des, tell us a little bit, what is an example of a, a typical client engagement for you? Okay, so uh, typical client engagement. So are you wanting to hear what the process is like when I engage a client? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, of course, 
most times the business is referral. As you well know, Tim, when you're working at a, a senior executive level, not too many of those folks jump on Google or Facebook uh, looking for a resource to help them. Usually that comes from some type of referral. So once I have a connection with someone, uh, the first thing I'm interested in is learning more about their content. And uh, as Tim said earlier, I have a reputation for taking a sharp eye as well as a sharp knife to content to try to carve it up in a way that it's authentic to the person that's delivering it. And so I really have five steps in my process of engagement. So the first deals with the essentially a content assessment. And mm -hmm. so when someone comes to me, I basically want to do an evaluation to determine, are we going to be just evaluating what you already have here to determine where it ranks and how good it is? Or are we going to be doing content creation to where you just have some ideas that you want to flesh out and you need to deliver? And so that's usually the first step in just examining the content. Then step two is what I call the speech cycle. And so in the speech cycle, essentially here, what we're trying to do is take you from an outline to a fully developed uh, presentation that you can deliver, confidently deliver in front of an audience. And there are several steps within that process. Once we're done, then we move on to step three, which is the delivery coaching, which is everyone's favorite. Mm -hmm. So I've been known to travel with a video camera. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I love to put my clients on video because, of course, as we know, the video doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. So to give them an opportunity to create sort of that real world situation, imagine yourself on stage or imagine yourself in front of the room. Uh, and, and taking that feeling, um, what does that feel like? And we actually go through, and I really look at four uh, different things. So number one is the content. What are you actually saying? Number two is the delivery. So how is that delivery coming across? Body language, gestures, all those good things. Uh, number three is visuals. So if you have PowerPoint, video, or something like that with the presentation, we examine those as well. And then the fourth thing is question and answer, which is always critically important. So the last two steps in the process, step number four is actually on the presenter. So, you know, unfortunately, I can't go out there with <laughs> them when they make the presentations. Wish I could in some instances, sure. but they have to do that on their own. And then the last thing we do is, is a follow-up. And so we look to see, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, I like to focus on strengths and opportunities when I work with clients. And so what things are you really good at and how can we do those things better? And then what things are opportunities, things that we may need to work on. Hmm. Wow. So five steps. That is very comprehensive. And, you know, who knew that there's so much that goes into to a great presentation so, Des, I'm curious, you know, you've worked with a number of my clients and, and they speak so highly of what you've been able to do with them. Why is it that so many successful, smart CEOs struggle so mightily with being effective communicators and effective presenters? Where's the disconnect there? Yeah, Tim, that's a great question and something I've been trying to figure out for quite some time. I don't think that there's necessarily one thing that contributes to that. Uh, obviously, some people are born with natural talents, you know, where they can communicate and then others have to work harder at it. If there was one thing that I had to narrow it down to, I would say it would be time uh, and really time from two perspectives. Uh, number one would be those busy executives, obviously, by nature, don't have 
time for the presentation and the, the time that it takes to prepare. And then I would say, secondly, uh, in terms of time is they don't make time because they are, in fact, in charge in most instances and can usually make time for mm-hmm. what they want to make time for. So the thing that I've learned is just the speech process and creating a presentation is so, so labor intense. And most people would rather skip that part. And it's not until you get in front of the audience where you realize, you know, I should have put a little bit more time into that. And so fortunately for me, um, I've done this so many times that I can sort of cut that time frame in half. And so just to answer your question specifically, I would say the number one factor is just time. Again, having time or making time. That's so interesting because I know so many of my clients that they really struggle with that in terms of managing their time and being effective with with how they use their time. So that makes perfect sense. So does do you get the sense that a lot of the executives that you work with are fearful of public speaking? And if so, what can executives and CEOs do to mitigate some of those fears? Yeah, the, I would say that that ranges. Uh, of course, being the CEO and being used to being out front, very few of them are you know, absolutely fearful of just standing in front of an audience because most of them had to do some of that to get to the level that they are today. But I will say that in private, some of them are actually a lot of my clients will share their fears around public speaking. And what I find to be interesting is almost to a person, it usually goes back to some time like in elementary school where they raised their hand to answer a question maybe and they said the wrong thing uh, and just felt so embarrassed that that feeling has kind of stayed with them now for 10, 20, 30 years. And a lot of times something as simple as that is usually the source of those fears. So again, it's a mixed bag. You know, there's different levels of comfort and competency when it comes to speaking. As far as what to do about it, I think the most important thing to do is to really understand that the fear that people have is usually not one of speaking because most of us have conversations and we talk in public all the time. It's more one of a fear of public thinking because essentially when you're standing in front of an audience, what you're doing is balancing the weight of your thoughts and everything that you're thinking has to be filtered quickly before it comes out of your mouth. And so a big challenge that a lot of people have is how do I organize and sequence my thoughts so that I'm able to recall them You know, when I do have that pressure and standing in front of an audience. So, Des, I know you know working with a lot of successful again business owners and, and CEOs. Some of them are better than others. What are some of the typical mistakes that you find that particularly maybe newer presenters make? What are some of the typical mistakes they make? Tim, I would say the first thing that usually applies to all presenters, myself included, is the curse of knowledge. And mm-hmm. you and I have talked a little bit about this before. Mm-hmm. But the curse of knowledge essentially says that once you know something, it's hard to remember what it's like not to know it. And so, in effect, many presenters present over the heads of their Mm -hmm. audience because they assume that they understand things that they don't. And I also find that many presenters... think that standing in front of an audience is a place where you're supposed to display your smarts. Mm -hmm. And so they get into these complicated theories or policies or 
rules, whatever the nature of the business is. And they do, in fact, prove that they're smart enough to confuse everyone, but they lose sight of the goal, which is for the audience to be able to leave that meeting or that presentation with some information that they can, in fact, take action on. So Hmm. that's across the board and and pretty general. As far as beginning speakers, I would say one major thing with beginning speakers is a fear to tell stories in their business presentations. Mm -hmm particularly if they're, you know, young and trying to prove themselves in their industry or to, you know, a superior within a company, usually they want to get, you know, right down to the facts and to the results. But of course, we know that when we make decisions in life and in business, uh, there's a lot of emotion tied into those decisions. And so you would truly be doing yourself a disservice if you don't tap into the emotions of your audience when you're speaking to them, even in a business capacity. And of course, there's a, a right and a wrong way to do that. So I always say that, you know, from the start, you should go for the heart in any presentation. Mm-hmm. And if you get the heart first, then you can go for the head. The younger presenters, younger CEOs, or, or younger speakers in general tend to go straight for the head mm-hmm. and forget about the heart totally. So I would say that's a major disconnect. So keep it simple and the use of stories. And, and yeah, that makes perfect sense. So Des, I have to ask, because I know I have my fair share of public speaking moments that have gone south, What, <laughs> uh, without naming any names, what is a story or a, a situation that you were coaching somebody and you were watching a presentation or a speaking engagement go south very quickly? Oh, Taylor, excellent question. So there was a presenter that I worked with for two months and it was for the TEDx Atlanta, and it was several years ago. This speaker was in another state, and so he and I didn't have an opportunity to practice face-to-face, but we would get on Skype, and we would go over the content you know, time and time again, and so I was very comfortable just with his retention of the information. Well, when he gets to Atlanta the first day for practice, I meet him at the auditorium where the event is gonna be held, And he gets on the big stage and he stands on the red circle TED carpet Mm -hmm. and totally freezes up at practice. And he's like, this is, you know, it was like the stage and the room was empty pretty much. And he just felt like the moment was too big for him. And so I spent the rest of that day convincing him that he could do this. He had to do this. And so the next day of the the day of the event, he did deliver the presentation. It wasn't a knock your socks off presentation, but he made it through it without the audience knowing, you know, the nerves and things that he was having. And so what's interesting is at that event, there was a friend of mine there who knew this situation. And so as I'm watching him speak, I nearly have like both of my hands in my mouth biting my fingernails <laughs> off. And my friend takes pictures of me watching this person speak. <laughs> and he, you know, so he sent me like a caption, like this is commitment. This is a father watching his son. So every time, you know, someone speaks and I've been involved in the process, I mean, obviously I'm invested from a standpoint of time and I want them to be successful. And it's also a reflection of me. And so I am nervous quite a bit uh, anytime someone is presenting. I bet. That's a great case study. Yeah. So Des, I want to ask, before we get to my favorite part, which is the rapid fire questions, I'd like to ask a couple questions around technique, around presenting, just things that I hear maybe from my clients that they might ask. 
The first one is how important is it to memorize a presentation versus having notes? Is, is it okay to use notes or should I always try to memorize the presentation? Tim, that's, uh, that's a, a really challenging question and one within my discipline that's talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that different people have different opinions on this. The primary thing that I always think about is making the presenter comfortable. So I may, for example, work with someone who's completely competent and they can deliver the information, but they need those notes there just as a crutch to know that they're there in case they need them. And so obviously in that situation, I, I wouldn't fight them on that. You know, whatever's going to make you comfortable. My position usually is as long as the notes aren't a distraction, uh, then the notes are fine. Mm-hmm. My personal preference for presenting is not to use notes at all. And the reason for that is I feel like I can engage the audience better if I'm not relying on notes. And so, mm-hmm. Tim, you've seen me present several times and mm-hmm. I've never used the notes because I make the time investment up front. I do have some shortcuts that I use to help me internalize presentations. And so that's always a good thing. But I don't necessarily think it's air quotes bad for a presenter to have notes. I think as long as you are interesting and you're engaging, the audience won't even think about the notes. But it's one of those situations where if you're bad, then they're going to look and try to pick everything apart. It's like the, the blood in the water, you know, kind of theory. So I always suggest to presenters like you need to be comfortable. And again, that comfort level varies just depending on the individual. Hmm. And, and Des, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you have shared a system that you have for remembering your presentation. And it seems like maybe it involved a baseball field. Yes, Can you mind sharing that with our listeners? Absolutely. So basically, I create these visual maps to help you with your presentation. The theory behind that is that our brains sort of remember images as opposed to words. And so if I were to show you, for example, three pictures and then ask you to remember those pictures, usually you could remember them. And if there were some talking points to go with them, you could probably pull that off. Mm -hmm. However, if I were to put three paragraphs in front of you, you know, it would be infinitely challenging to try to remember all those words and to keep those things straight. And so with my process, what I essentially do is I build the presentation up or either work with a client to build the presentation all the way up. And by that, I mean scripted all the way out. You know, every word is scripted out. And then from there, we want to tear the presentation back down. And so when we tear the presentation back down, we want to end up at one of those memory maps, like the baseball diamond, which you mentioned. So the, the point of the baseball diamond is just uh, helps the presenter position their ideas at different places on the baseball field. And because they can remember where home plate is, for example, or first base, for example, if we were to attach words to those different positions, then it just makes the process of recall much easier. And it puts the speaker at ease when they're in front of the audience. Hmm. Taylor, you played a lot of baseball. Do you think that would be helpful for you? Oh, absolutely. That would be fantastic. Des, here's another one, and you reference this, the use of you know, nonverbal communication and specifically the use of gestures. How important is that as a presenter? And even as small as, what should I be doing with my hands? when I'm, <laughs> I never know. Should my hands be up? Should they be down? Absolutely. So, Gestures are huge. And the reason that gestures and body language 
is so important because when your audience is listening to you, they're also watching you. And as we all know, we communicate non-verbally in many ways. And so if your body is not in agreement with the words that you're saying, what that is going to signal to your audience members is that you're not in sync for some reason. And I always give my clients the example of if you were sitting down listening to someone making a pitch or presenting something to you where they wanted you to take some type of action, whether it was to buy or to do something, I'm sure we've all been in a position where what the person is saying makes complete sense logically, but for some reason, your gut tells you that you should hold off or you should just say no for now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, we don't even know why. We don't know where that comes from. Well, usually that's triggered by the fact that you're sensing that this person's body is not in alignment with their words. And so when there's that conflict, no -hmm. matter if you're, you know, making a small presentation or a large presentation, it's just another piece of information for your audience to take in. And again, if they're not in sync, then you're going to be literally sending the wrong message. Mm -hmm. So a few things about gestures and just what to do with gestures. So the big question you asked him that everyone asks is, what in the world do I do with my hands? (laughs) Because for most men, it's like we go straight for the pockets. It's like, well, let me just put them in my pockets and I don't have to worry about them. So what you should do with your hands is just let your hands drop to your side. Now, that's the default or the base position. That feels awkward and it Mm -hmm. feels really weird. But if you were to look at yourself on video, which I point out to my clients quite frequently, or someone were to take a picture of you just standing with your arms by your side, it looks totally normal, but it feels weird. But when you have your hands down by your sides, what will happen is you will automatically go into your normal gesture pattern for conversation. So some people use their hands a lot when they talk, others not so much, you know, they're more specific with their gestures, but whatever that default gesture pattern is for you, if those hands are at your side, it's eventually going to say to your brain, your mouth is moving, so your hands need to do something. And so I think in terms of what should I do with my hands? The thing to really focus in on is when you're not speaking or if you don't know what to do with them, just drop them down to your sides and then your brain will kind of take over and do the rest. Wow, that, that's fascinating. Uh, Des, one more quick question, then I'll turn it back to, to Taylor. So I know you work with individuals on one-hour presentations or longer, and you've also helped people with TED Talks, which are yes. typically 10 to 15 minutes. So which of those two would you say is harder to prepare for, an hour presentation or a 10-minute presentation? The shorter, the more challenging. Obviously, you have less real estate, so you have to really pack those ideas into that small space and be concise. Whereas, obviously, if you have an hour, then you have much more time to elaborate on specific points. And so there was some famous person, I don't know who to attribute this to, maybe Winston Churchill or someone who was known in history for their oratory skills. And they said, if you need me to speak for one hour, I'm ready to go right now. If you need me to speak for five minutes, give me a week. Um, And so I think that sums it up pretty good. (laughs) I love that. I love that. All right, Taylor, now a favorite part of our broadcast, the rapid fire questions. I'll turn it back to you. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So, Des, we'll try to keep these to just a couple sentences. First off, what's your favorite speaker? 
Uh, my favorite speaker is a gentleman named Mark Sanborn. And Mark is based in Denver, Colorado. He was a past president of the National Speakers Association. I like Mark because he's not one of those overly dramatic, you know, standing, jumping up and down kind of guys. But he's one of those guys who can get in your head and stay in your head during the entire presentation. And I just love those types of presenters because I come from that vein. So when I listen to Mark tell stories and use humor, you know, he kind of oscillates between your mind and your heart. So certainly my favorite. Very nice. What would you say is your favorite book? My favorite book, I would have to say probably uh, The Law of Success and 16 Lessons by Napoleon Hill. Oh, wow. That's a classic. That is a classic. (laughs) And outside of the Small Business Matters podcast, what is your favorite podcast at the moment? Uh, My favorite podcast is Business Wars. So basically, it talks about Coke versus Pepsi and all of the big rivalries uh, with companies throughout the years. And so just listening to those types of things are fascinating for me because I'm always interested in angles with marketing and things like that. And so it's interesting to hear how companies of the past approach you know, those types of challenges. And a lot of the things that we do today, even with all the technology, are pretty much the same. Oh, very good. Well, if Business Wars is listening to this, that was a free plug, and we would appreciate <laughs> you know, the return sometime in the future. <laughs> what would you consider the greatest sports moment of all time? Greatest sports moment of all time. I would have to say Michael Jordan. The shot where he uh, hit the shot and the one that's famous on the Gatorade commercials. Well, I think they were playing maybe Cleveland Cavaliers at that time. Mm-hmm. But certainly a a Michael Jordan moment. You can pick any of those game sevens. (laughs) Yeah, that's an iconic one. And then finally, what what is a bucket list item that you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience? A bucket list item that I wouldn't mind sharing? Um, hmm. My bucket list item would probably be China. Mm, Um, I've always been curious about China. And as Tim knows, I meditate daily. And so the the whole eastern side of the globe is appealing to me. And so I would love to go there just to see uh, what the culture is really like and what everyday people there do uh, on an an ongoing basis. So a, a trip to China would be tops on the bucket list right now. And then finally... Is there a speaking opportunity or a, an event that you, you kind of highlight as you, know, you would love to speak there one day? I guess I look at myself more as a coach than a speaker. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that, I always think of, you know, who is a person that I would love to coach, support and to have them, you know, go out. And so take your pick, but it's anyone being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Mm. Like for me, that would be the dream coaching opportunity to write a presentation and also coach a presenter who's going to be entering a professional sports Hall of Fame. Mm. That's awesome. Very nice. Well, Des, our time always goes so fast and, and tonight is no exception. You've given our listeners great takeaways everything from how important it is to, even at the early age of nine, to remember your <laughs> lines, the idea of their five steps you know, to putting together the ideal presentation, the importance of, of managing your time as a speaker, avoiding the mistakes of, of being too complicated in your speaking, and the importance of using stories, 
also the importance of, of being prepared to try to mitigate some of that fear. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like there was a study that showed public speaking was either like number one or number two in terms of greatest fears, maybe next to dying. Yes, uh, so that's correct. Being prepared to try to mitigate some of those fears is not always so important that you have to memorize your presentation, but just being comfortable with it and also being mindful of nonverbal communication and gestures. So, so much for us to learn from. And we're so appreciative that you were able to spend time with us. Uh, Des, I know a number of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you and, and contact you for, for, for help. What's the best way for them to, to contact you? Yeah, so the best way is to contact, call me directly. And so my direct line is area code 757, and the number is 537-3678. So it's 757-537-3678, and I'd be happy to hear from you. And I also know, because I've been on your website, remind me of the address for your website. Yes, uh, so the address for the website, it's desthornton.com. It's D-E-Z-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. So listeners, if you have an important presentation coming up and, and you feel like you need some help, I can strongly recommend Des can help you out in a big way. So Des, thank you again for being with us. This has been very informative. I hope maybe you'll come back and, and join us again sometime. And I look forward to seeing you in the near future. Yes, sir. Well, Tim and Taylor, thank you for the opportunity. Tim, I hold you in such high regard, as you well know, and honored to be a part of Small Business Matters. Thank you. Well, Taylor, what'd you think? Was that helpful? Oh, yeah, that was great. I think just even thinking about having a coach and someone there to support you in, in something that is so important, um, especially for executives and CEOs who are, are sort of public figures in their own audiences, Certainly a, a service and a, a profession that you don't maybe think about every day, but is, is so critical for, for people, again, and as CEOs and leaders in their, in their business. So before we close out, Taylor, a couple of quick announcements for our listeners. Of course, the Small Business Matters newsletter, most, if not all of our listeners, I'm sure, are subscribers. But if not, if they want to subscribe to the newsletter, how can they do that? You go to our website, smallbusinessmattersonline.com. Uh, the homepage has a very quick and easy form to fill out, and you can get registered for our distribution list. And then also a reminder that the Small Business Matters Boot Camp, we've now opened up registration for 2019. That program kicks off in the latter part of January and runs through May. So if you're interested in the boot camp, you can also find information about that on the website for Small Business Matters. And also, if you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts, those are available on iTunes, and I want to encourage everyone to subscribe to that. Taylor, anything else before we close out today's podcast? I don't think so. just want to thank Des again and appreciate his insights and, and professionalism. And we look forward to taking some of the things that he said tonight and, and incorporating them in the future for our own podcast. Great. Well, friends, thank you for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. <laughs>